Hello, I'm Leslie Garfield-Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today we are talking constitutional law. In this episode, I'll discuss the Commerce Clause with Professor Emily Waldman. Professor Waldman's a professor with me at, at the Elizabeth Haub School of Law at Pace University. She has particular insight having clerked for Judge Robert Katzman of the Second Circuit. This discussion is particularly useful because not only does Professor Waldman take you through the history of the Commerce Clause, but she does an outstanding job of laying out exactly how to analyze a Commerce Clause question on an exam. I think you'll like it. Before we get started, a few disclaimers. First, always remember you take the professor, not the course. So if this is not your professor, then keep in mind your professor may talk about things that are not discussed on our podcast or vice versa. Second, this is just intended as an overview. We don't necessarily get in the nitty gritty, but I assure you, you will walk away leaving this having been a little entertained and a lot learning about Commerce Clause. Okay, let's get started. All right, so thanks for joining me. You're welcome. And I remember from I remember from con law, one of the things that was difficult for me was the Commerce Clause. I heard you were the expert on Commerce Clause. So what is the Commerce Clause? Okay. So the Commerce Clause is a clause in the Constitution. Um, the reason why it's important is that the Constitution, the basic structure it sets up, is that it divides power between the federal government and all the state governments. And the idea with the federal government, especially in terms of passing laws, is that Congress can only pass laws about specific topics. So Congress can't just pass any law that it wants to pass. It has to pass a law that's about a topic that it's entitled to regulate. That the Constitution gives them the power to regulate. Correct. So Article One of the Constitution, which is about the legislative branch Congress, Section 8 within that, basically sets forth all these topics that Congress can pass laws about. Okay. Some of them are really specific, like Congress can pass a law about bankruptcy or naturalization. And then some of them are broader. One of the broader ones is what's become known as the Commerce Clause, which says Congress has the power to regulate commerce among the several states. So this is the Constitution's grant of authority to Congress Correct. to regulate power among the states. To regulate commerce. To regulate commerce, commerce. Okay, among the several states. Okay. And that's what's known as the Commerce Clause, or technically the Interstate Commerce Clause. Okay. Right? So Congress can pass a law if it's a law that's regulating commerce among the several states. Got it. And so the big question, well, what does that mean to be regulating interstate commerce? Right. It could mean something really narrow. You could have a very narrow de- definition of what actually counts as interstate commerce. Or it could mean something really broad, like anything that might affect interstate commerce. Right. So Congress can pass laws that can be seen as regulating interstate commerce. Got it. And the question is, what does that mean? Okay. If it means something broad, that gives Congress power to pass a lot of laws. If it means something narrow, then it doesn't give Congress that much power. Right. So over the course of the past couple hundred years, at different times, the Supreme Court has said it means different things. There have been different interpretations of the Commerce Clause. Okay. And is it like a trajectory? Well, it sort of. It's like a back and forth. Oh, gosh. So here's what happened. There are basically considered to be four different eras. Okay. The first era was the early days of the United States. 
um, where Congress really wasn't passing much national economic regulation. But when it did, there's one famous case um, where the Supreme Court basically said Congress has really broad power under the Commerce Clause, and it doesn't um, just mean the the sale of goods. It also is talking about commerce more broadly. Okay. So that was era one. Okay, what case was that? That's a case called Gibbons versus Ogden. Okay. And it had to do with Congress regulating, like, navigation. Okay. But the big thing that happens is that a second era comes along, um, starting in the late 1890s, culminating in 1937. Okay. And during that era, which is known as the Lochner era, also for other things that were going on in constitutional law during that time, the Supreme Court adopted a much narrower interpretation of what the Commerce Clause meant. Okay. And it basically said it's only talking about the actual interstate sale of goods. So Congress during that time, this leads all the way through the Great Depression, Congress was trying to pass various um, national economic regulatory laws, for example, let's say prohibiting child labor or something like that. And the Supreme Court was striking down those laws, saying, well, that's not interstate commerce. You're trying to regulate the conditions of how a good gets produced in a state. And that's for the state to do. You can only regulate once the good is actually crossing state lines. So that's really the, that's what the court is looking at when they evaluate a case under the Commerce Clause. Yes, but that year is not good law okay. anymore. Okay. <laughs> so basically, so that's what's sort of tricky, right? Okay. So era one, there aren't that many cases, but the Supreme Court implies really broad power. Like, and do anything. Yeah. Era two is when the court adopts this very narrow reading, and okay. it says, it's commerce, it's really just about that ultimate sale of goods across state lines. Okay. And you can't, Congress, you can't pass a law saying, like, no child labor. That's for the states to, to decide, because that's just about the conditions of manufacture within their state. So is there an example of something that did make it through the court in the year or two? Yeah, there were certain there were certain economic regulations that did make it through, but a famous case, for example, where it didn't make it through, there's a case called Hammer versus Dagenhart, mm-hmm. where Congress is trying to limit child labor. Right. Um, and they're being more restrictive than North Carolina was. Okay. And the Supreme Court strikes that down and basically says it's sort of for the states to decide. Got it. And then all of a sudden, there is a shift. There is a shift in 1937. Okay. Um, FDR is still president. You might remember that um, FDR was getting so frustrated with the Supreme Court at this point, there was that plan to pack the court because they keep striking down different economic um, legislation, among other things. Mm -hmm. In 1937... One justice, a justice actually named Owen Roberts, not related to John Roberts, flips. So it had been basically, these things were getting struck down Uh 5-4 on this narrow reading of the Commerce Clause. And Owen Roberts flips and starts siding with the four justices that want a more expansive view of the Commerce Clause. And during that third era, the Supreme Court basically says that the test is just whether Congress is regulating an activity that substantially affects interstate commerce. So if they're regulating an activity that substantially affects interstate commerce, commerce, that regulation is okay. Under the third era. Under the third era. But we have to get up to the fourth era. (laughs) Bummer. And that will ultimately be the thing that you use on a test. Under that third era, not only do they say that the test is whether the activity substantially affects interstate commerce, but Mm -hmm. they say you can... Like 
aggregate the activity. So, for example, even if, like, if one person did it, it wouldn't have an effect on interstate commerce. But they say, you have to imagine, what if a lot of people did it? Right. Then would there be an effect on interstate commerce? Well, almost everything that people do, if enough people do it, there would be an effect on interstate commerce. So there's this famous case from that era called Wickard versus Filburn. Right. Which is a case about this wheat farmer. Yeah. And there, there was a law, the Agricultural Adjustment Act, that Congress had passed that tried to limit, like, how much wheat can you grow, even on your own property, Mm -hmm. to feed, like, your own family and animals. It limited even that. And this farmer sued and said, how is Congress telling me how much wheat I can grow on my own property? That's outside the bounds of interstate commerce. I'm not even going to sell this wheat. I just want to like feed it to my farm. And the Supreme Court upheld this law because they said, well, if everybody, the law was trying to sort of regulate how much everyone could grow for themselves and how much they had to buy on the open market. They said, if everyone starts doing this themselves, that's going to affect the market in wheat. Wow. And so... So that's it's enough. actually affecting yeah. the interstate market. So yeah. that's sort of like the high point of that. that okay. It was very big that they said, you don't just look at the individual person, you look in the aggregate. Because like I said, if enough people do anything, there's probably going to be an effect Absolutely. on interstate commerce. Yeah. And in fact, it's during that era, which, as I'll tell you, ultimately ends in 1995, that Congress also was able to pass some of the really big so uh, civil rights stuff, legislation. Yeah. yeah. Like the Civil Rights Act of 1964, how did Congress pass that? That only that applies to private actors, not just the government. Right. Right. So it wasn't, even though the Supreme Court had held that under the Equal Protection Clause, you couldn't have separate schools, the Constitution alone didn't apply to private actors like employers and hotels. So Congress passes a law in 1964 saying that employers can't discriminate on the basis of race, among other things, right? Restaurants can't refuse to serve people of a different race. That's the Civil Rights Act of 1964. How could Congress do that? Well, it was a regulation of commerce. Right, because you're serving food and you're yes, selling you're food. Engaging you're engaging in commerce. food from another state exactly. to serve at your Exactly. Um, and restaurant. even if there's this really famous case involving this little restaurant, Ollie's yeah. Barbecue, and they're like, well, we don't even serve people really from out of state. And they're like, well, but if enough people do, if you aggregate it, even local businesses doing this has an effect on interstate commerce. It makes it very difficult for people of different races to travel because they don't know who will serve them. So during that era, basically everything is getting upheld. If Congress passes the law, Congress obviously isn't passing every single law, but if right. Congress is passing a law and saying, well, this is a regulation of interstate commerce, it's generally getting upheld, at least as a commerce clause regulation. It might get struck down if, like, it violates something else. Right. But at but least under the commerce clause, under the commerce the clause, Supreme Court is saying it's a topic this is that Congress can permissible. It's a topic Congress can regulate, right. and then okay. the way they do it, you know, might be a problem. But the topic, it's a topic they can regulate. Okay. So during that whole year, like I said, pretty much everything seemed like you could reach that topic under the commerce clause because, in some way, it's going to connect to interstate commerce. So. Big shift then in 1995, we're sort of zigzagging, right? So we started out with a broad reading, then the Supreme Court had a restrictive reading, then it went to a really broad reading, then it dials it back a little bit, and that's the era that we're in now. And that's the era, this is all history so far. This is all, right. And now we're talking about what matters for a test. For a test. (laughs) Or what a a court would do right now, right? So, okay. So here's the big thing that happens. In 1995, the Supreme Court decides a case called Lopez, the United States versus Lopez. The gun case. The gun case. Yes. Exactly. And so this was a case where Congress had made it a crime, a federal crime, to possess a gun within 1,000 feet of a school. Right. And they say, well, we're doing this under our Commerce Clause power. And so that gets challenged, um, and the challengers say, well, how does just possessing a gun near a school, what does that have to do with interstate commerce? You're not regulating an activity that has anything to do with interstate commerce. 
And when the law is defended, the government says, well, no, it does affect commerce because if people have guns near schools, then there's violence at schools and that affects kids' education and ultimately that hurts the economy, et cetera. So, so just to interrupt for one second, if Lopez had been decided in era three, mm-hmm. It, it would be fine. Yes. Well, that's and that's what thing. they're kind of coming at. Well, that's the funny thing is when this Congress passes the law in Lopez, this gun-free zones, yes. school zones act, Congress thinks we're still in era three. Right. Congress doesn't know <laughs> that the case, that the decision on this is going to now usher in a new era. Okay. Right? We've talked about this in class. Like, Congress thinks this is fine. Right. Everything is being upheld. Right? You don't know you're in a new era until the Supreme Court says, whoa, we're right. shifting courts. <laughs> Right. This this act, I think, was passed in 1990. Right. So Congress thinks it's fine. And then it gets challenged and it goes up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court at oral argument is asking questions like, well, is possessing a gun near a school an economic activity? Right. And the Mm -hmm. government is like, well, yeah, because it has these effects. But you start to see the Supreme Court is becoming more skeptical again. And so the Supreme Court ultimately issues a decision, another 5-4 decision, but striking down the act and saying this was not within Congress's Commerce Clause power to pass. And the Supreme Court doesn't explicitly overrule the previous cases, but it does what the Supreme Court sometimes does in con law, which tries to sort of say, well, actually, they all fit into this pattern in retrospect. And so what the Supreme Court says in Lopez, and this is now where we're getting into what you would do on an exam, because this is still the test, and there have been some other cases applying this. It says, well, now that we look at all our cases under the Commerce Clause, we can see now what the pattern is. Congress can regulate... um, the mechanisms of interstate commerce, right? So like the waterways, the roadways, and things like that. Congress can also regulate goods as they move through interstate commerce, right? So those first two categories are pretty uncontroversial. Okay. Then it says the third category is Congress can also regulate activities that substantially affect interstate commerce. So it pulls that part from the second era, but then it limits it. It says, but... You can only, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you can only aggregate those activities if the underlying activity is economic in nature. Okay. Right? And if you think about it and you go back and you look at those cases from the third era, it kind of works. All right. right? So, yeah. So, we're still keeping the idea of precedent and making yes. it. Yes. Because they're okay. trying to reconcile okay. everything. Okay. We're okay. like, yes, we said all that about reconcile. We, we said all that about aggregating mm-hmm. the effect. But... Like, if you think about those cases, and it's true, like, think about the civil rights cases, right? At its heart, that was an economic transaction, like you're refusing to serve someone because of their race. Even right. in Wickard versus Filburn, it's sort of economic. You're deciding whether to grow a commodity. Right. They say, whenever we've said this, it's always been that the core activity was economic. Okay. Right? So they draw this new distinction. They say, in that third category of what Congress can regulate under the Commerce Clause, mm-hmm. i.e., an activity that substantially affects interstate commerce, right. you need to draw a distinction about whether that activity is economic or non-economic. Okay. If it's economic, you're good. You, right. can, you can still do all the aggregation. But if the activity is non-economic, the court pretty much implies you can't aggregate it. Maybe Congress can reach non-economic activities if it needs to do so in order to make an economic, a larger economic regulation right. work. So what would be an example of a non-economic Well, activity? possessing a gun near a school. Okay, great. <laughs> and that's why they strike it down, right? They uh-huh. say mere possession of a gun near a school right, there's- is not an economic activity. So guess what? You can make all these arguments you want about how if everyone has gun near schools, it's going to hurt education and that's going to hurt the economy. But mm-hmm. you don't get to aggregate because right. possessing a gun near a school is not economic. 
And so it's ironic that we're talking about possessing guns near school I know. right now. That's kind right. of And then, so that's Lopez. And uh-huh. then the next big Supreme Court case on this comes five years later. It's a case called Morrison involving the Violence Against Women Act. Okay, yeah. And that's another case where Congress had passed a law under its Commerce Clause authority. The Violence Against Women Act actually did a lot of things, which are fine, like increased spending. But one of the other things it did was it made it so that you could sue in federal court. You could sue somebody who committed gender-motivated violence against you in federal court. Right. It created a federal cause of action. And which which a victim might choose. Yes. Because it's more favorable that, to them. That, the idea of this was that some state courts weren't like sympathetic enough right. to victims of gender-motivated violence. Okay. And so it was to say, if you putting aside whatever happens with your state criminal case, if you want to sue your attacker mm-hmm. for damages right. in federal court, you can. It was creating like a tort, a federal Got tort. It. Got it. And it, it, did it tried to do it under the Commerce Clause by saying gender-motivated violence causes billions of dollars in damage to the economy. Okay. So this is a regulation of interstate commerce. They were using the Commerce Clause as the hook. Got it. Because remember, Congress always needs to be regulating about a topic that it has power to regulate under the Constitution. Correct. So they took the Commerce Clause as the hook, and they tried to say gender-motivated violence is also an economic problem. So they're getting, I, they're they getting tried. greedy a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they tried. They tried. Yeah. They said, well, you can just go. Right. Trying. Gender mo- motivated violence hurts the national economy, right. so we're creating this federal tort. And so, again, it gets challenged. And at this point, Lopez has been decided, and mm-hmm. the Supreme Court does the same analysis, right? They're clearly not regulating, like, the waterways or the roadways. So cat- that category doesn't work. They're not regulating a good or person as it's moving through interstate commerce. So that category doesn't work. We're back in that substantially affects commerce, the third category. And again, the court says, well, it, the, that activity is not economic. Gender-motivated violence, when somebody does something to the opposite sex, that's terrible, but that's not an economic activity, and therefore you can't aggregate it. And so therefore Congress... Huh. This doesn't work as Commerce Clause legislation. Okay. And so that is the Morrison case. Got it. And then, just to tell you a little bit more, so can anything get upheld under the Commerce Clause now? Well, yes. Regulations of economic activities still can. And in fact, five years after Morrison, the Supreme Court decided another big case called Gonzalez versus Raich, and this was about medical marijuana. Okay. And the question was, can Congress continue to be prohibiting any possession of marijuana, which is what it does under federal law. Mm -hmm. And the Supreme Court says yes, right, because this is part of the regulation of the market in marijuana. And if if Congress's way of regulating it is to just make it absolutely illegal to possess marijuana, that's valid under the Commerce Clause. Do you think it was because it was marijuana that they said it was okay versus... No, I don't. I think what happened there was, in a way, it's funny, you sort of had a conflict in that... There were justices, so Justice Stevens wrote the majority opinion, right? Justice Stevens, for all I know, might be totally in favor of medical marijuana. I don't know. But the point is, they really believe in a national government, a strong national government, Congress, having the power to regulate a lot of things. And that was was sort of the dominant thing. So even if this was shaking out in a way that maybe policy-wise, they would like people to have more room to use medical marijuana, this was the opportunity to write a decision sort of reaffirming Congress has a lot of power under the Commerce Clause. Okay. Now, this decision didn't undo Lopez or Morrison. No. It just said, now Congress is regulating an economic activity, right. and so Congress can do it. And it sort of brought back some of the broad language about the Commerce Clause. The test is the same, whether it's under Lopez, Morrison, Correct. or, um, or Gonzalez, Gonzalez right? versus Rich. This is just application of yes. guns, domestic violence, 
medical marijuana, marijuana yes. being an economic... Yes, that that was you part of... You sell it. It's that a commodity, was exactly, for lack of a better word. No, that's exactly right. right. And okay. so on an exam, that's what you would do. So, when, right, so I'm going to stop okay. you for just a second. All right, so I get it. So really, areas one, two, and three... Are, in, are essential to understand for purposes of understanding how we got to era four. Exactly. Era four is the current test. Exactly. Got it. Okay. That's exactly right. Okay. And so just to put this in a little bit bigger context in terms of tips for when you're taking a con law exam. Okay. I always tell my students, whenever you have an exam question where Congress has passed a law and the question is, is this law constitutional? Right. You want it, your big picture going to be thinking about three things. The first thing is, is this a topic that Congress can regulate? Great. That's where the Commerce Clause fits in. The Commerce Clause might be a reason why, yes, this is a topic that Congress can regulate. That's where that fits in the analysis. Question two is, okay, if it's a topic Congress can regulate, is the way that Congress is regulating it okay? That brings in another line of cases that we're not talking about. But the key thing is Congress can't regulate a topic by telling the states that the states have to pass a law about the topic. Okay. Put that aside for now, but mm-hmm. just to think about your overall analysis. Number one, is it a topic Congress can regulate? Number two, is there a problem with the way Congress is regulating it? And then the last question you always want to ask is, what about the substance of the law? Does it violate any individual rights? So here's an example. Imagine Congress passed a law prohibiting people from selling newspapers. Okay. That would be a topic Congress can regulate under the Commerce Clause. That's an economic activity. Right. You can. It's a way that you can do it because you're not telling the states they have to do anything, but it violates individual rights. It violates the First Amendment. I see. Right? Yep. So that would be your answer was you would say, yes, it's a topic they can regulate. They're not commandeering the states and forcing them to pass a law, but it's unconstitutional because it violates the First Amendment. I see. The way the Commerce Clause would come up on the exam is in that first thing. Do we even have a topic that Congress can regulate? Right? So if I made up a question at this point and I said, Congress wants to pass a law prohibiting anyone from possessing a gun near a school, you would say, that's not a topic Congress can regulate because the Commerce Clause doesn't work. And by the way, neither does anything else. Right. And the reason reason why is because mere possession of a gun is not an economic activity. It's not an economic activity. Right. So So suppose I made up a new question. Right where Congress is regulating something. Like I said, the first thing you would look at is, is this a topic that Congress can regulate? Correct. There are other topics that Congress can regulate besides Commerce Clause things. We're talking about the Commerce Clause, right? Assuming none of the other ones were, then you would look at the Commerce Clause and you would say, okay, well, I know under Lopez, there are three categories that Congress can regulate under the Commerce Clause. Is this a channel of interstate commerce? Right. It's going to be pretty clear. Is it like a roadway or a waterway or is it not? Okay, that doesn't work. Are they regulating a good that's moving through interstate commerce? For example, in Lopez, right? Imagine it only applied to guns as they move through interstate commerce. You'd get it under that category. If you don't have those, then you have to say, is this an activity that substantially affects interstate commerce? And then you need to say, well, is it an economic activity? In which case I can aggregate it and say, what if a lot of people did it? Or is it not an economic activity? In which case you're pretty much out of luck unless they somehow need to reach that thing to make an economic regulation work. That that just seems so clear to me. That's perfect. It's clear to me. Yeah, it's really clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's even clearer if you could see me writing it on the board, but right, I think right. it's still... Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. So, so basically you get a question... So, for instance, I'm, I see a statute on the exam. Yes, that Congress has passed. That Congress And remember, has if it's just a state passing it, you don't even need to worry about this. Got it. Okay, so because, Congress passes yes. a statute. And this is a statute as to whether you can wear body armor in public? Sure. Okay. All right, so first thing I want to say, 
is, is this a topic that Congress can regulate? I'm going to look at Article 1, Section 8, list a bunch of powers, and I'm yes. going to say, oh, maybe since this sounds like a good, this may be a commerce yes, power. exactly. Then, once I say this is something that Congress potentially can regulate under the Commerce Clause, yes. I want to make sure it's constitutional for them to regulate it under yes. the Commerce Clause. So I'm going to ask myself three different questions. And the first question is, is this regulation something that regulates channels of interstate commerce, roadways, waterways, right. things that cross come across state lines? Right. And obviously just wearing body armor, possessing body armor, isn't is that. Not, no, yeah, no. That, that one doesn't so work. That's, that's category one of Lopez, and that one does not work. Here. Okay, great. Okay. Then the second thing is, does this regulate people and goods as they move through interstate commerce? And that, to me, I think about the case where the milk was brought across straight Correct. lines. Or the, products. Or the food. Exactly. Yeah. If this statute were limited to, like, you can't wear body armor when you're crossing state lines, right. then we could think that category right. would work. But this right. hypothetical statute is broader. It's saying right. you just can't wear it anywhere. You can't right. possess it anywhere. So okay, that so two's out. Two's out. So now we're stuck with three. So, so three is activities that substantially affect interstate commerce. Yes. And so the question becomes, is this activity economic? Well, carrying a gun isn't economic. Right. We know from Lopez that just possessing something usually isn't economic. Exactly. And by the same token, probably so wearing it. Wearing it isn't. would be like possessing and it. And so what's interesting, I'll tell you, I actually used a situation like that on one of my exams. And one of the follow-up questions I asked was, well, how could you change this statute? to make it work. Wow. And so one way you could change it, and it was funny, and students really got it, and some people said, well, you could limit it to wearing body armor across interstate lines. And then another really easy way you could change it is, suppose you're prohibiting the sale of body armor. Now it's an economic activity. Oh, right, because you're selling it. You're selling it. it. Got it. So now you can aggregate. That's really interesting. Um, I get it. But just, and then they had a lot of other ideas too, but those were the two (laughs) biggest ones were to say limited to body armor moving through state lines. Right. you get to it through category two. Right. Or limited to the actual sale and purchase of body armor. Now it's clearly an economic activity. Correct. Or you like, could turn it into a boat and ship it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there are different things you could do. Right. Um, but if you're just, after Lopez, right, it seems like just possessing body armor, it's sort of like just possessing a gun. Right. Congress can't regulate it. Now, that remember, that doesn't mean states can't. It just means... Congress can't right, because it's not a regulation of interstate commerce anymore. Right. And that's all we're talking about that's today. That's all we're talking is about. Is the power of, of Congress, Congress to, to enact commerce. economic yeah. regulations exactly. through the Commerce Clause. Exactly. Perfect. Yes. Great. All right. Well, this is amazing. And I really feel like I've understood and learned it. And my favorite is that you gave kind of the analytical outlines. Anything else you want to... Um, no, I think that's it. The other thing is just what I said. Remember that... I mean, it depends what the question is on your exam. But if it's just Congress passing a statute, don't stop with the question of, is this a topic Congress can regulate? Right. That's where the Commerce Clause thing comes in. Suppose you say, yes, it works. Congress can regulate it under the Commerce Clause. You still have other things to think about. Now you have to think about, well, okay, does it violate any individual rights? And I would say, and this is something I tell my students too, even if you say no... Congress can't regulate it. Don't say, but if it can. Exactly. And that's where students lose all their points. Because the thing to remember is that we want to know that they know how to analyze the question. And if every question led to the right answer, it wouldn't be very fun. So So that's what you always want to do. And really, to be complete, in a con law 
On a con law exam, Congress passes a law you want to say, this is a topic they can regulate. Is the way that they're doing it problematic? Again, that specifically refers to they couldn't regulate a topic by saying states were ordering you to pass the law. Right. If it's a topic they can regulate, they've got to regulate it themselves Correct. if they want to regulate it. So that's question two. And then the final question is, well, okay, it's a topic they can regulate. They're not telling the states they have to do anything. Now I just have to look at, does it violate any individual rights? Got it. Right. Got it. And that is, it. for example, a ban, let's say it was a ban on selling guns, right? That would be a regulation of commerce. Right. The method of regulation is, okay, they're not telling states to do anything, but then you have to think about, does it violate any individual rights like the Second Amendment? I see. Right. So then you take it. That's a separate point. Which is a separate point and a separate podcast. Exactly. So Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and really enlightening me on this. It's been really helpful. It was my pleasure. Thanks. So that's our discussion of the Commerce Clause. If you like Law Effect, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes. Or if you want, tweet us at either Law Effect or at Prof. L.Y. Garfield with suggestions of topics you'd like covered or professors you'd like us to speak with. Well, that's it for Law Effect. See you next time. <laughs>